I was so fortunate uh, this year to be paired with a, a young individual who, um, uh, through the mentorship program, PJ of Alberta, and I honestly learned as much from him as he did from me. But that whole relationship is is just tremendous in terms of us helping each other. And I just I look forward to seeing where he gets to because I know it's going to be great. Hello there, and welcome to the PGA of Alberta podcast series. My name is Matt Johnson, and I will be hosting today's show. In today's episode, we will talk to 2020 PGA of Alberta Club Professional of the Year and Head Professional at Silver Springs Golf and Country Club, Dean Ingalls. He will help us understand the importance of teamwork within his operation, some creative retail strategies during the pandemic, and the crucial part of networking and mentorship throughout his career. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Great to have you for our first ever podcast for the PG of Alberta, and uh, could think of no more deserving recipient than yourself winning the PGA of Alberta 2020 Club Professional of the Year with your team as well winning the 2020 Merchandise of the Year for PG of Alberta. So thank you for taking time to come on the show. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Dean, why don't you take us back to earlier on in your career when you were an assistant golf pro at the Pinebrook Golf and Country Club in Calgary after being an assistant at a few other places along the way. Uh, spending a few years there, you had the opportunity to take over the role as head professional, which is always a tricky situation within the club. Why don't you talk to us about your challenges you've exper- you experienced with that transition and role and, and maybe some advice going forward? Well, I, uh, what ended up happening is uh, Clayton Robb, when I first got to Pinebrook, was the head pro, and it transitioned into Randy Robb as Clayton became the teaching professional. And Randy had uh, decided early on uh, one season that he was going to move on, which left um, myself in a situation where we were having our first child, yeah. moving into a new home, uh, didn't know if I was going to have a job. So all that kind of happened. So that kind of threw me a little bit. But when I ended up um, getting the job, it was really um, a fairly smooth transition because, as you as you mentioned, I'd been there for five years, knew all the members' names, what they were about, uh, knew the staff members, knew everything about the club. And I think that that's the biggest skill set we bring as golf pros is knowing who our clientele is or who our membership is. And so I felt very comfortable moving in. Now, when you move into that role for the first time, you're thinking, okay, am I prepared? Do I know everything I need to know? And, you know, that's led me to nowadays making sure that any golf professionals that I work with, we have a conversation with you. Where are you trying to get to? What's your roadmap? What do you need to work on? So that when you, I always tell them, when you get my job or a job similar to it, are you going to be ready? Like, what are you missing right now? So 
I had been in the business for 10 years. Um, I was still in my late 20s when I got my head pro job the first time, but I felt like I had had enough experience and was was ready to go. And um, I think that, you know, there's going to be times where you get that first job where you're going to have to lean on other people in the business, your, your mentors and, and fellow professionals. And, and I did a lot of that. And uh, you start to realize how important those people are. And I'm still gathering mentors today and working with people that way because I'm constantly learning. Um, I should mention that as well. One of the things in transition that happened is one of the board members who supported me quite a bit, Mike Laverty, he, uh, he told me when they hired me that, you know, just make sure that you figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are and hire to your, to your weaknesses and, and everything will be fine. He said he thought I had the personality to do the job. Um, but just make sure that I figure out what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So that, that helped me a lot. And I still, I still use that today. Great advice there, Dean, on uh, developing relationships within the club. I think that is utmost crucial for, for our golf professionals, especially starting a new job at a club is the members want to get to know their golf professional and they want you to get to know them. So great advice there. Uh, moving forward, so you, how long did you spend at Pinebrook in that role? Uh, 19 years and then, uh, yeah, six years now at uh, Silver. And and so that's just an amazing track record. Um, you know, how do you keep it? How did you keep it fresh at Pinebrook for, for 19 years? How did you think of or did you or did you feel like it was um, difficulty every winter to come up with a new Dean Ingalls for the, for the following year? <laughs> Uh, I'm never looking to to move. I, I like kind of being in one place, and that's because I, I think you can innovate and you can create new ways of doing things. We always do a lot of things each year to figure out new ways to do things for the following year, and, and understanding that what we're doing right now, we probably shouldn't be doing uh, in years to come because there's always new ways to do things. So I, I kind of live for that type of stuff to be able to create new ideas and and uh, I think that allows me to not become stale staying fresh with the times and um, creating new ideas is always what brings everybody back to some excitement at the club and it's always fun for the members or, or the golfers at each club to see what's new every year they, they come back so um, way to keep things fresh there how often do you lean on other professionals for ideas or help you know you, you've been in the industry so long you must know everything but um do you often take time and talk to other professionals about things more so you know maddie more so now uh, now than ever uh, with covid you know particularly this last season i had so many emails and phone calls back and forth with with other pros figuring out what to do and what not to do and and so if ever there was a year to learn that we need each other. It was yeah. this past year and it's going to be the same thing next year. Most likely. Yeah. right? Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, it will be the same next year because we'll be coming out of this hopefully. And so things will be changing by the day next year as well, as we come out of this, uh, yeah. this pandemic, uh, just finishing up with your career, going to silver Springs, you know, how, how is that feeling changed from, you know, starting head pro role at Pinebrook when you're an assistant, then going right to silver Springs, fresh out of the water uh, probably knew a few people from just being in Calgary and in the community, but you know, how, how different was that? It was, it was 
quite different than taking on my first head pro job because I didn't know any of the members. Uh, well, I shouldn't say any of them. I knew two or three of them. But it was my most, uh, I would say, awkward few months in the business, um, introducing myself on a daily basis, trying to get to know members' names, because I live for knowing who they are and what they're about. And so when I didn't know that, it just drove me nuts. So what I did the first pretty much two weeks, maybe three weeks at Silver Springs, I just uh, was a starter on the first team. Yeah. Uh, so you got the starter sheet, you got the bag tags, you got the handshake. And so you put a face to the name and you're able to cheat a little bit. And, and uh, that helped out significantly. Um, but I took it for granted what I had at Pinebrook in terms of knowing all the members and how important that is. And it took a few years to get to know the members at, at Silver just as well as, as the members at Pinebrook. So, um yeah, it's, uh, that's an important skill set that if you're moving to a new club, uh, get to know them as quickly as you can. And the best way is right on the first tee, I, I think. I, I still oh, I, I still enjoy on Friday afternoons starting because, first of all, people stop emailing you on Friday afternoons because they're, <laughs> they've gone home for the, the weekend anyway. So so you can get out and, and uh, feel like you're part of the, the club for the afternoon on Friday, which is always nice to do. That's right. Well, this year was obviously, a, a, you know, just a wild year. Um, like you said, you like to push yourself every year to be a little different. Um, this year was, it was something special. So how, you know, how were you able, how were you, how was your team? Cause you guys always do such a great job at silver innovating and trying new things from, I remember the short rib delivery station at one point to, to other things like that. Um, you know, how how were you able to how was your team able to adapt was it hard at some points was it easy um take us through what we all went through but uh, from a silver spring standpoint uh just kind of going through covid and how we worked our way through it yeah yeah uh, it was it was challenging um not knowing what was going to happen on a day to day basis and and telling our staff one day one thing and then the next day doing a complete 180 and telling them, no, we're going to do we're going to do it this way with with certain protocols, right? Um, so that was that was a challenge. We uh, so much good came from this, though. Like, if I think of early on in March, it was like, okay, COVID's here. We may not be able to golf all year. What's going to happen? Do we have our jobs? Um, and so we said, well, let's uh, figure out a way to get to our members. If they can't get to us, so we. I remember shooting our first video. It was a, we called them MVP member value pricing videos just to get their attention. And, uh, and we made them fun and interactive and, and as short as we could. And we would put little numbers on each clothing item and, and, and then describe in the body of the email that we were sending uh, the price and so forth. And so we did this quick little two minute video with Galvin Green and sent it out and, we sold about $2,000 worth of stuff. Like, oh, okay. So that was kind of like your online golf shop, virtual golf shop brought to the living room. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of works. And, and, um, you know, I was at this, at the same time, I was talking to a lot of different golf pros about throughout the province, about what are you doing? How are you making it work? And heard about these online stores. Uh, so I set up a later on a couple months later, I set up a Shopify store 
in a few days for used clubs. I never launched it because the videos kept working so well. And um, so, yeah, we kept doing the videos. Uh, they kept our sales up to where they needed to be. Uh, the next COVID thing that happened is, okay, um, we need to get our golf course ready. So we were doing both curbside pickup with food, um, one shift a week, and then we were doing three days a week working with grounds, uh, clearing the greens and things like that, getting them ready. So that camaraderie that we built up with other departments was amazing. Um, so we got to there. We learned that, you know, basically the government said, let's open our golf courses tomorrow. Yeah. Um, we all yeah. remember that night. The yeah, phones yeah. the phones were ringing before they even said it. So. Yeah. I was driving back from Golden and I had to get my wife to take over behind the wheel because I said, my my phone is going nuts. And so I had to answer all these uh, texts and emails on the way home because uh, people were wondering, you know, when are we opening? What what are the rules going to be? And, and I didn't. You know, I didn't have a lot of answers, but mm -hmm. uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, we got into the season and continued on with our videos because there were still restrictions on who could come into the shop. We uh, so so that was successful. We we also created a well, what we termed to be Vision 2020. It was just a catchphrase that I used. And what it was was we we looked at each category and then gave a captain from our golf professional team to each category to try to make sure that we still reached our budgeted numbers, right? So, you know, Randy was in charge of this and, and, and Nick was in charge of this and I would be in charge of this. And, and we would come up with a game plan for each category. Okay, how can we implement it into our videos on a daily basis? Because we did about 35 to 40 consecutive days of videos. And how can we wow. um, create new and different and innovative ways to, to sell merchandise? And there's two that, Two that stood out that really worked that I I, I just I, I want to share with everybody whenever things work because they don't always work. Yeah, yeah. So the first one was we did a club fitting video, and I had Nick Becker, who's just amazing at, at these videos, is passionate that just shows through uh, so well. And and Nick got on there and he basically said, you know, if you want to get in the queue, you know, when we can when we can get back to fitting, and uh, get fit with this newest technology and then he would go through all the features of the latest sim driver and Mavic driver and and um, so we sold these packages a, a driver package and an iron package and a fairway wood package and, and so they were buying these packages without getting a golf club so we were getting the yeah so we were getting the revenue we were able to apply that to that month and then we would fit them later on down the line. So all of our fitting appointments later on when we opened were packed with people who were going to buy because they had committed. So that worked really well using using Nick's passion and the, and the video technology. And then one other one, Matt, that really stood out was we kept trying to ask ourselves, what do our members, what are our members going to need through COVID? So it was uh, push carts and power caddies because they they wanted their own. They didn't want to touch something else that other members were using. So we did a lot of those. And But we also recognized that our water stations on the course weren't going to be open. Um, we didn't even have water stations in the clubhouse. Like We were just like, there was nothing there. And so we thought, well, let's get them water bottles, different sizes. They can customize them. Um, and, uh, and then let's give back to the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter. So 10 bucks from each bottle will go to the shelter 
and the members would get a customized bottle so they could bring one or two or a bigger one or whatever to the golf course filled up and ready to go. So this one turned into uh, 450 bottles, uh, which turns it turned into what we did is we flipped that around and bought our merchandise uh, that we weren't able to sell at the consumer show right. because it didn't happen, our ladies' merchandise. And we took $9,000 of retail clothing down to the women's shelter. So our, we were able to do something good for the community. We were able to, um, you know, help our bottom line. And we were able to help them uh, a real need for the members at the time. So it was those type of conversations that we were always having. What do our members need? And how can we, we meet that need? So that, that just goes over some of the yeah, what an amazing initiative, right? Um, and to get buy-in from the members, you just attach a charity to it, and and that you know catches yeah. their eye real quick. Um, yeah, what a great idea. Hey, so tell me, because we we all go through this, and, and you sound like you um, communicate with your team members quite often. Do you structure that? Is that, or is it just kind of a water cooler chat that that evolves into something, or? Is there, you know, yearly, quarterly, weekly, monthly meetings that you set goals and objectives for? Well, so how do we involve them? Well, they're involved with everything. So um, basically, you know, with the with the programs that we did this this last season with COVID, they were part of every discussion and every creative element that we had. And now at the end of a season, what I what I always do to include them are uh, we go through a brainstorming exercise, um, and I've done this for about the last ten years. So everybody that's worked with me will know this that we basically break down every part of our operation um, from driving range, teaching, back shop, pro shop, men's league, ladies league, uh, retail, um, every category of retail. And we come up with a game plan of, we, we basically talk about, okay, what worked, what didn't work, and how can we make it better? And then we establish a game plan. And I'm the moderator. I'm writing down on these uh, flip charts, everything. We're posting it up on the wall. And we're adding to these charts uh, throughout the day as, we, as new ideas come to us. And then it develops our game plan for the following season. So they're part of the, the buy-in right away because they're part of that that process right so you know that that exercise works well to get buy-in from them i would say that there's two other things that that really gets buy-in from from the teams that i'm a part of and that is we set goals with our club manufacturers so if i play tailor-made i'll meet with the tailor-made rep what did we sell this last year what worked what didn't how can we improve next year so then they meet uh, with these goals a few times throughout the season, where are we at? Uh, should we reassess? And, and so they're held accountable by themselves. They're held accountable by the sales rep and they're sure. held accountable by me. And then um, I had one final one, which was uh, their own goal setting, which we do each year. So we, we break it down. This goes back to a professional development seminar yeah. that we did years ago. And Bob Bailey and I still do this ourselves. To this day, it's, you know, you set your business goals. How are you, how are you going to improve the business? You set your professional goals. How are you going to improve as a golf pro? And you set your per, your personal goals. And we we, we uh, meet throughout the season to assess where we're at. They don't have to share their personal goals if they don't want to, but 
because that's the most important part of life. Mm -hmm. uh, those certainly need to be um, set and met. And uh, so, yeah, those are, you know, you get buy-in when they're involved with the process and when you show that you care about what they're all about. So with that goal setting, you're, you're caring about what they're doing at work and at home. How can we make both better for you? Right. So that's kind of summarizes some of the things that we go through uh, so that our teams are always excited about what they can do. Well, and they're, and they understand the objective of the operation at the end of the, you know, what, what are we going for? What are we going towards? What is important to us? Yeah. And we'll, and we'll set a couple of uh, goals for each of those brainstorming sessions, kind of main goals. That, okay. They either come from us or they come from member surveys that, okay, looks like we kind of sucked at this. Yeah. So we need to work, really work at, at this particular area. So um, it really gives us time to understand, okay, yeah, we, we need to get better here. So let's really focus a lot of our attention to that. Yeah. And I, and I also think the thing about goal setting, people get really nervous around it that they think it has to be the perfect objective or the perfect um, goal to set. And you can change it in a month or two if you realize that that isn't the, yeah. it, that isn't the effective goal that you're trying to reach. Right. And I think people get tied yeah. behind, is that the right thing? And you can always change your goals. So. Well, and how often did our goals and our budgets change in 2020, right? Like on a daily basis almost. And uh, so, yeah, it's, but it's uncanny, Matt, as you know, that when you set a goal, it's amazing how often you achieve it. And uh, I mean, everybody says that, but it's, it's weird to me how it, how it works. And it works so well with club manufacturers too, because then they know what you're trying to achieve yeah. as well. So there's buy-in there. Yeah, and it's an easy thing to explain to uh, your superiors, either it be your general manager or the board. What what is your department doing this year? And it's you know it will just impress them to show this is what this is our roadmap for this year, and yeah. then they don't have to get involved in trying to figure out what it should be. You've already shown yeah. them taking that initiative. Yeah. And I would I would involve the GM if they want to be involved with the process. I think that's healthy as well. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, and saying that. I always find this time of year, this is when my juices are flowing. Like you, you said, like I, I, you know, I'm sure my team members or my staff just roll their eyes when they hear this. Said, oh, here's another hundred ideas by Matt here. So, um, you know, finding out what's important is really the key. But you know, following up on it throughout the year, I think is is even more important than just setting them in in the off season and and making people readjust to your goals throughout the year because it's pretty easy in the dog days of summer, June, July to forget why we're even here. So um, yeah. I always find that the most challenging. Yeah. If you've got those dates in your day timer and then your, you, you know, your sales rep or the other golf pros have it in their day timer, uh, you'll make sure it happens. Yeah. yeah. Good, good advice there. So just going over the last 12 months quickly, um, you know, what did you find were the biggest challenges of this crazy year that we had? Uh, this renaissance back to golf. Uh, what did you do that, you know, worked? What did you do that just fell flat on its face? Uh, if you can think of anything, hopefully nothing too much. We, we tried to create the safest uh, environment possible for our members. And, and, you know, I think we achieved that. And I think golf really achieved that. And golf became something that um, was a leader for a lot of other industries. I've had people from the ski industry and the hockey industry come and talk to me about how, how did golf do this, right? And and we created, we had a great governing body with NAGA that that, that's, that supported us with the government and, and uh, told them the, the measures we would take to be safe. So 
then all the all the clubs followed that lead from that governing body and and uh, we really made it safe and and you know I, I can think of on a daily basis how me and the other golf pros would be out front you know trying to figure out okay should we be wearing gloves should we not be wearing gloves face masks everything that we were trying to figure out and I think that if you go and and do it yourself and experience it yourself and they see you uh, caring and, and showing that you um, are not just creating the roles and sitting back in your office and hoping it happens, but you're actually following through on it yourself. I think you get buy-in from your team, and and we really did this year. The, the the challenging, I think the most challenging thing, Matt, was trying to accommodate all of your members and all of the golfers, regardless of whether you're a member club or not. I think we as golf pros, that's one of the innate things that we're makes up our DNA is is making sure that we take care of people and, and find those opportunities for them to golf. And so not always being able to do that this year was something that was difficult for me to adjust to. And uh, yeah, like you said earlier on here, I think every golf pro should be given some sort of award for this past season because it was, it had to be creativity at the highest level to uh, make all this work. Like I was, I was giving out tea times at like, eight o'clock at night and yeah. the ski was going down at eight fifteen because our members could at least get on the driving room, right? So yeah. they could show up 15 minutes early, at least hit balls for a half hour if they wanted to. So things like that that you just never thought would be something that we would do. Um we had to do and and uh you just always have to be open to okay well, what are we how are we gonna have to adjust to this and lean on others to help you get through it. Uh, those those mentors that uh, that we all need to have. Yeah, I think I've like, like you said that was um, the most challenging because I think we tend to take those things personally when we can't accommodate somebody, yeah. and it really June was a really tough month for all of us. I'm sure when when it was at its peak and and members weren't used to or golfers weren't used to the busyness um, and and the inventory of times we had, and you know I was taking it personally and and. Um, you know, at some point you realize that it's not, it's not our fault, obviously. <laughs> and it's actually a great thing. And we're, we're, it's a, it's a thing we're allowing people to, to feel normal for four or five hours every, every day that they can. So, um, I, you know, in my personal experience, I found the members kind of at the end of June, they got into the rhythm, understood what, you know, what was going on and, and we're, everybody was much more on the same page. Um, you know, and, and, and the fear, I think, I think, I think it became a reality more than this thing up in the sky, this COVID thing that nobody knew anybody with or had gotten. All of a sudden people were getting it and also the the red light went on and say, okay, we do have to, this isn't, this isn't Disneyland. Every time we come through the gates, isn't Disneyland. There is a risk that still is out there. So uh, we noticed that at our club, once um, things started to, you know, settle down that people realized that they still had to act accordingly when they got on property, which was. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, I think that uh, through all this, you know, members had to adapt and change uh, quite a bit, right? And, and that's never easy. And like you said, once it became real to everybody, um, they accepted it. And, and uh, I think we can all certainly say that we all sharpened up on our tea time booking procedures and uh, priority rankings and things like that through 2020 because uh, you had to be pretty sharp to be able to explain why this person got a tea time and this person didn't. So it was painful. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. It was painful, but going back to what I said, just be honest with yourself, be honest with your members. Yeah. 
See, and, and you can tell them you don't have to like it. This is just how we're going with it. And if you have a better way, just let me know. Because yeah, that's uh, right. Because yeah. it was, uh, yeah, the, I had to put that in almost every weekly email, how it went. But there's so many, you know, there's so many versions of how it actually goes. But, um, hey, Dean, just just in, in, in closing here, you know, we, we hear this all the time. And it's great to get some insight by a wily old veteran like yourself. Um <laughs> You know, young golf professionals are always asking, how do I advance my career? How do I get to the next step? Um, you know, what would you suggest to them? What are what are some of the keys that you see in young uh, developing professionals that you you look at that person and say, that person's got it. That person is on the right track or or the opposite. That person is lost and, and needs to find their way. I think it's just uh, seeking out information from um, those that have experienced more than you have. So, um and, and maybe I should change what I just said it because I'm seeking out information from younger pros who know more about things than I do. So I think it's every golf professional, but as a young pro, I um like, I've never had so many golf pros phoning me and asking me for advice. And I think that's a cool thing. And I welcome anybody to do that. Um, I wish that I would have done it. It would have saved a lot of mistakes that I made through my career. Just asking questions like, how would you, uh, what would you do education-wise? What would you do differently than what you did? And then I was so fortunate uh, this year to be paired with a, a young individual who, um, uh, through the mentorship program, PJ of Alberta, and uh, I honestly learned as much from him as he did from me, but that whole relationship is is just tremendous in terms of us helping each other. And I just, I look forward to seeing where he gets to because I know it's going to be great. And uh, so leaning on others, understanding that, you know, seek out your mentors. Um, uh, a lot of them fell on my lap. I was fortunate, but I continue to still seek out those that I can learn from. And that's not just uh, the wily veterans like myself, it's <laughs> the younger people as well. Uh, I think we can help each other and, uh, and just continue to learn from each other because there's a lot of very smart people in our uh, association. Well, I think our industry has changed so much since you and I got involved in it. I, you know, maybe it was just in my head when I became a golf professional, I thought the only goal was to become a head professional. That's just what I thought. And now you see our industry change and that's not necessarily the goal for half of our, our young professionals. There's, there's the avenue of teaching, there's the avenue of retailing, there's the avenue of general management and stuff. And so I think it's important that we don't pigeonhole our responses to become always what we think somebody wants to become. Yeah, and that's that's part of the discussion that we have each year with our pros is where are you trying to get to? What do you want to be? And then you figure out your your roadmap from there because like you said, there's there's ten or twelve different avenues you can go these days with with the golf industry and, and all of them can be very um uh, become very good careers for you. So that's right. Yeah. Well, in closing, Dean, do you have any other words of wisdom you wanna um impart on us? You know what, uh, Matt, I just, I, I look forward to 2021. Uh, these are the times right now where you can plan to be successful. Uh, you just mentioned yourself how you've got so many things going through your head. And, and uh, you know, I, I just look forward to next season, what it's going to bring. And, and we already know that we can adapt to anything, right? We're, we're, uh, we're, we're, tra- we're now trained that way. And uh, just be ready to figure out what your clientele or your membership needs 
and uh, then go ahead and knock it out of the park. I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to next season already. So. Good stuff. Thank you for your time, Dean, and uh, we'll chat later on. Great. Thanks, Matt. I'd like to take this time to thank Dean Ingalls for participating in our professional development podcast series for the PG of Alberta. Uh, with the pandemic, we've had to been forced to pivot as well with what we do in the education department for our members. And so we've brought it online to this podcast platform. An update on Dean's career shortly following interviewing him for this podcast, he accepted the role at Carmony Golf and Country Club as their head professional, and he's looking forward to that new challenge in his career. And I'm sure the members and management at Carmony are looking forward to welcoming him in the new year. Stay tuned for further episodes of the podcast where we'll have our education committee interview other industry leaders uh, throughout Alberta and give us an opportunity to learn a bit more about what everybody else does. Take care, and we'll hope to see you soon. Stay safe.